In the last century, more individuals have become Christians and more churches have been planted than in all of the rest of church history combined. But what about the thousands of people groups who still don't have the opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus Christ? Let's find out what in the world God is doing as our study leader Dave Wurtson challenges us with the assignment the Lord Jesus might have for each of us in the great purpose of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You probably have these verses memorized by now. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And when you receive power, what do you become? According to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is upon you and you will be my... Let's try it again. And you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my... A lot of times I don't feel like we have power. How many of you just feel like I'm trying to get the motor kicked off? It's kind of like your lawnmower and it's been sitting in the garage for several weeks and you pull that crank and you pull it, you pull it, you pull it, but it doesn't quite seem to start. This whole idea of you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you it's not that you're going to always feel like Mr. Dynamo, and I've got a friend of mine on the internet. His, uh, his internet name is Dr. Dino. Man, you talk about a positive kind of an individual, but often I don't feel like Dr. Dynamite, Dr. Dino. And maybe you're like that as well. In fact, I want to share with you honestly, a lot of times I feel just like you feel. I don't feel like I have spiritual power. I feel like I don't really want to do this. Anybody identify with any of that? All of that works on my soul, just like all of the attacks against your soul work on you. Because I'm a pastor teacher, it doesn't make me immune to those things. I'm just like you. Sometimes I get up and in the morning and I feel like, man, I don't have the energy to do this. And I don't want to go into that situation. And that's when we can have a great opportunity to believe and to trust that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is true because the scripture says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Yesterday morning, on a Saturday morning, when I got to get up about 6 o'clock in the morning, get dressed, make about an hour and a half drive over to Granbury, get lost in the middle of Granbury, eventually find Acton and, and weave on through the country and try to find it. All of that is involved in trying to minister and I get to the home, and what I do is as I'm driving there, I start asking the Lord, Lord, I feel weak today. I feel emotionally down. I feel depressed. I just don't feel I can really do this. And yet the Apostle Paul shared that when we're weak, that's when we can be strong. And so I want you to just flow through me. I want you to use me. I want you to anoint the words that I want to share. I want you to bless the interaction that we have. And then you carry out that spiritual responsibility. You share with those. You share with that situation. And an incredible thing happens when you do that. And that's what it means when it says, but you shall receive power. Maybe you don't feel like you have much power in your spiritual life today. And you don't feel much like witnessing. And I want you to begin to catch a vision that the Lord is not limited by our emotions of weakness. He's not limited by our physical weaknesses. That he is still working. And often I lose sight of what I'm really involved in, what I'm really doing in the body of Christ. And maybe you do as well. You're part of a movement that is thousands of thousands of times larger today than it was after Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. As the 20th century began, as we moved into the 1901 era, when we 
turned the pages from the Victorian era into the modern era, Christianity was almost all European. Almost all of those that really understood the gospel were either in Western Europe or they were in North America. Christianity was very much of a Western religion. You know that that's not true anymore at all. In fact, as we turn the page over to the 21st century, you as a Western believer will be in the minority. You will be the lower portion of the body of Christ. There are more believers in Asia, more believers in Latin America, more believers in Africa than will be in all of the Western world combined. It's an incredible thing that's beginning to happen. Rather than feeling weak and powerless, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit does come upon us. And he does use this. And what I find is life begins to unfold, that incredible stories begin to work out. So let's look at our verse again. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. It doesn't say that you'll receive power when, when you feel that you're really gifted, or you receive power when you feel that you've got the right training, or you will receive power when you feel that you've got a, a salesman-like personality. But it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and when he comes upon you, you will be a witness. And you'll be witnesses in your home area of Jerusalem. You'll be witnesses in Samaria and Judea. And then on to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're living in the time where the fulfillment of that promise to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is very much upon us. Remember those groups that are completely separated from the gospel right now. Not separated from God's revelation in nature, but separated from a special revelation in the word of God. It's possible every one of those groups can be touched. And it's not just the American church that is doing it. It's the Brazilian church. It's the Asian church. It's the African church. It's an incredible thing that God is doing. What I'd like to do for the next few minutes is try to give you a, a worldwide kind of a trip around the world and to give you some feel for what's happening in accomplishing the Great Commission, receiving power and being witnesses. Let's begin down in Latin America. As Texans, you know, Latin America is right at our back doorstep. It's right here with us. It's a tremendous opportunity. For us, Latin America means a trip down to San Antonio, you might say. And it means to be able to enjoy all the incredible fun of the river walk and, and all the neat music and all the incredible food. Just think of the heritage of the great gifts that the Latin culture has given to us. The joy of celebration, the joy of incredible food, the joy of knowing when to take breaks. You know, all of that kind of temper, some of you Germans that come here that, that are going to tear yourself to smithereens because you never know how to take a break. And so the Lord in Texas has given us this unique blend of a Hispanic, Caucasian culture, and now he's mixing in Asians and everything else. And rather than fighting that, and rather than resisting that, in light of the Great Commission, as the Lord brings all these diverse groups into our town and into our area and into our state and into our country, it provides the opportunity to accomplish the Great Commission right here in our area. So as a believer, when you hear maybe some redneck that's really arguing against all the diversity and all the change, remember the Great Commission, will you? Amen? Will you believe that? This is a great opportunity. It's not something to resist. It's something to enjoy. It's not something that's going to snuff out what's important to me. It's an opportunity to accomplish the great mission in the world. Let's just go down to Brazil, for instance. Do you realize if you were to go to South America and to Sao Paulo, Brazil, if you moved into Sao Paulo, Brazil, you think of Brazil being Indians with no clothes on and Amazon River Rapids and, and you think of piranhas, you know, eating you in the, in the jungle. But if you fly into Sao Paulo, you see a skyline that stretches as far as the eye can see. 
You see skyscrapers that make Manhattan look small. You see an incredible metropolitan city. And do you realize that there's a city in Sao Paulo, an evangelical church, that when they built their new building, they ordered five miles, five miles of pews. They're a little bit more traditional than we are, evidently. That church has more than 25,000 members. That's Brazil. The church in Brazil is growing faster than the population of Brazil. In fact, as we started this century, there were very few evangelical believers in Brazil. Very few that really understood that the gospel was a gift of God. If you were to walk the streets of Sao Paulo, there's a very good chance that you were walking the streets of Sao Paulo, you would suddenly come upon a group of young people that would be singing. And as they sang, a crowd would gather, and then you'd have a street preacher that would get up and begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people would be responding. The gift of evangelism is exploding in the country of Brazil. And converts are coming into the body of Christ every single day by the thousands. It's just incredible what God is doing. In fact, when missionaries come back from Brazil and come here to the United States, this is Dollsville, USA. You mean you have a baptism once in a while? I mean, you have somebody get saved once in a while? Then in Brazil, it's happening with a tremendous movement of the Spirit. When I went down to Brazil to teach pastors up in Recife, I had one of the most powerful times that I've ever had. In Recife, it's a very poor area of Brazil. And these pastors came that barely had sustenance to be able to live. And yet as we spent a week studying the Word of God together, the intensity of their passion for the Gospel, the intensity of, for their desire to learn the Word of God to be able to share with their people was just unbelievably encouraging to me. And they're reaching out into northern Brazil that reaches up into the Amazon regions. And now the Brazilians are beginning to think in terms of mission. As we turn into 1901, Brazil was a mission field. But right now, Brazil is becoming a very powerful sending force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's thousands upon thousands of Japanese who live in Brazil. Contrary to the Japanese that live in the country of Japan, which for the most part are very hesitant to receive the gospel, Japanese that have moved to Brazil and have established this, this tremendous population are opening their hearts to the gospel. And the Lord is laying upon the hearts of converted Brazilian Japanese to pray for the land that they migrated from to go back and reach that land with the gospel of Christ. Isn't that incredible? The creativity of the Spirit of God. You think of Germany and the needs of Germany. Do you realize that in southern Brazil, that almost all of southern Brazil is Germanic? It's German. And you will hear German spoken very freely in southern Brazil. And God is moving powerfully down in that area of southern Brazil among those Germanic people, giving them a heart to reach out into the other German-speaking areas of the world. It shows you the incredible power of the gospel. I want to challenge some of you young people, some of you that want to just maybe after you finish college and you, you get your teaching degree, why not go down to Brazil and teach some missionary kids? You can just speak in English. I guarantee you, you won't just teach missionary kids. You'll have a whole lot of, of Brazilian kids in with you that need to have an English teacher because they want to get the English language down. And you can have an incredible mission field encouraging the body of Christ in Brazil for maybe two or three years. We need to open up our eyes to what God is doing. Argentina. Argentina. It's incredible what the Lord is doing. I went down there for a, a missions conference. I had the privilege of speaking to a thousand Argentinian kids, challenging them with the cost of discipleship. And I see hundreds of Argentinian kids faced with a challenge of going throughout Spanish-speaking Latin America with the gospel of Christ. And unlike the United States, 
If you want to have an assembly in, in high school, you go to a country like Venezuela, you go to a country like Peru, and you want to have meetings in the high school. I met with, I had lunch with a Peruvian missionary, a guy from Argentina that's a, on a mission to Peru. He said, Dave, I cannot cover all the scheduled invitations that I have to go into the high schools throughout Peru and to have a singing group, to have them give their testimonies, and then for me to get up and preach the gospel and to give an invitation. I cannot cover the invitations that I receive. I could spend all of my time just doing that. That's true through a lot of countries in Latin America. Sounds quite a bit different than the United States, right? In fact, it's incredible what God is doing. There's a tremendous movement, like a, a powerful evangelistic movement throughout Latin America, and we can be a part of that. And some of you can dream of what the Lord might want you to do in Latin America. Let's move over to Russia, for example. For a kid that was raised as a baby boomer, Russia was the place, the no-entry place, the place where the gospel had fallen into oblivion, the communist world where there was no hope. Do you realize that when the communist walls came down and the Berlin Wall was torn apart stone by stone, remember seeing that? When that happened, there were ten times more followers of Jesus Christ than were in the Communist Party. There were ten times more followers of Jesus in Russia when the wall came down after 70 years of communism than there were card-carrying communists. You see, the Gospels never totally snuffed out. The gospel has an incredible power, and I hang on to that. When I get discouraged and I feel like it's not penetrating lives, and I feel that what I do is so meaningless and it's just not going to change anybody, I remember, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The tremendous door of opportunity right now. You see, we thought they were under bondage. We thought they didn't have religious freedom, but in a lot of ways, things have reversed right now. Exciting days of evangelism in Russia today. The Ukraine, Word of Life right now is, has a camp started there in the Ukraine. It's incredible, the opportunities. Who knows how long they'll be open, but what we can believe is you'll receive power, and what's going to happen? People will be witnesses, and the gospel begins to explode. Exciting things are happening in that great land of Russia today. We think of Europe. You see, they've got tremendous numbers of people coming to the Savior, but very little training. The need, very few Dallas seminaries, very few Moody Bible Institutes, and we as a church family have an opportunity to become part of the establishing the Moody Bible Institute, the Dallas Seminary, the Fuller Mission School, all of those things. We have a part of establishing that in Budapest for all of Eastern Europe. Tremendous things happening. So if some of the young people are in college, a great opportunity when you go to college. Many of you will be able to go and study in Prague, be able to study in Budapest, your university will make it so that it's the same price for you to study there as it is here. Jonathan told me, he said, Dad, it's incredible. You could have a mission just getting all the believing students in universities, taking up these opportunities, scattering them throughout the world. You've got a natural end of the country. It's not going to cost you any more than studying the United States. You have a reason to be there. You're right in the university classroom working with the minds that will dominate a lot of the thinking of those countries for years to come if the Lord tarries. What an opportunity. So think like that. Young people think like that. Tremendous doors of opportunity. If you want to learn German, don't learn it in an American classroom where the teacher barely can speak it themselves. Go over and study in a university in Germany. And stand up for Christ here. If, you, if you're interested in Eastern Europe, go and study in Prague. It's the most beautiful city that you could ever imagine. 
Go over there and we'll pray for you and sustain you and hopefully we'll come and visit you. But think like that. Tremendous things are happening and great opportunities. Let's move over into Asia, an area that we feel is very, very dark. I think of the story of Eric Little and Chariots of Fire, right? Eric Little and Abraham's son and, and all the Abrahams in 1924 and the great race they had and how Eric Little won the 400 meters. Incredible story. A lot of people forget that Eric Little won as a missionary to China. After he won all that acclaim in Europe and after he had all that fame, he went as a missionary, just like he said he would. And he said that he would proclaim the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel in China, but as the Japanese invasion, a lot of us forget about the Japanese invasion before World War II. The Japanese came in and snuffed out a lot of the, conquered a lot of the area of China. And Eric Little got caught up in all that international turmoil, and he lost his life. A lot of missionaries lost their lives. I was raised in the story of, of the missionary. There were 10,000 missionaries in China alone when the communists took over. Many of them, many of them lost their lives. Almost all of them had to flee the country. And I remember my parents in the early 50s, you know, praying for China. And it was like, Lord, you know, this is a closed door. The biggest population group in all the country is now totally shut down to the gospel. And the church has been snuffed out. But then all of you have heard the reports. Sure, the church, with all of its buildings and all of its hierarchy and all the British missionaries were thrown out and all the American missionaries and Australians and Canadians, all this Western influence was thrown out. All the little white steeples and all the churches with their pews, it was all gone. But you know what God began to do? Chinese that had learned that Jesus rose again from the dead. Chinese that had learned that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Chinese that believed that this book was the word of God and it was precious to them and, and they would cherish the copies that they had. They began gossiping the gospel from house to house. They couldn't meet in buildings like ours. If they had, had a service like this, the Chinese communists would come in and murder them all. A lot of their leaders were killed that way, but they started gossiping the gospel from house to house. And people began to gather in homes and it's very difficult if you're a dictator to try to stop what happens in people's homes. And little groups all over the country began to be meeting. No buildings, no official clergy, no denominations, none of the power structures of Christianity, but an indigenous Chinese church began to develop. You shall be witnesses, and what will you receive? Power. Can the Holy Spirit's power be snuffed out? Can Christ's power be snuffed out, what a government wants to do? In fact, it just seems that the harder a government resists the gospel, the more powerfully the gospel explodes. So that as the statistics are looked at today, it's estimated hundreds and hundreds of times, thousands of times larger than when the missionaries got kicked out. In fact, it's almost like the Lord says, I've had enough of this Western ideas. I've had enough of this Western organization, enough of this Western materialism. Get them all out of here, and I'm going to develop a unique expression, a Chinese expression of the body of Christ. And it exploded in the Chinese culture. We move up into Korea. The Chinese believers came over and they started ministering in northern China. The influence spread down in the, into southern Korea. And Seoul, southern Korea is the most Christianized city in the world today. Seoul, Korea is the city that has more evangelical believers than any other city in the world. It has a church that has believers that get up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning every single day before they go home to work and they pray. If you visit a church, an evangelical church in Seoul, Korea, if you visit a church, then during the week, you'll have a believer come to your home with maybe some flowers, maybe some other Korean expression of a gift. 
And the believer will say that you visited our church family on Sunday and we just wanted to express the fact that we love you and this is a token of, of our gift because in their culture, to give a gift is the way you express acceptance and warmth and love. They divide all those new people up into small pockets like the house churches of China. And they have churches that are gigantic. The largest churches in the world are in Seoul, Korea. But they're all divided up into little house churches and little small cell groups that are not much larger than 10. And that's what's happening in Korea. And Koreans are getting the burden to reach into other areas of Asia with a tremendous mission thrust. And God is working in an incredible way. There was a revival in Indonesia. When Dave Lyra and I were studying at seminary, we would get reports from Dr. Peters, who was our mission teacher, and he would talk about explosive growth in Indonesia. I think of New Guinea, the land that I grew up as being New Guinea. Now it's been divided in different areas. But I remember a, a dear friend of mine that worked with me at Word of Life, Leon Dillinger. And Leon went to, to work there in, in New Guinea among the Dani tribe. When he went among the Donnie tribe for years, he wrote to my dad saying that they're impenetrable. They won't listen. They don't respond. And, and they just continue their cannibal ways. And, and there's just no way they're going to reach them. And suddenly the story began to change. Suddenly the missionaries got the language down well enough to be able to get into the storytelling of the culture. And they begin to be able to catch a hold of, of how to get the truth of the cross across of the Donnies. They begin to get a hold of some keys that could communicate the power of the resurrection. And suddenly Leon began to share about an incredible movement of the Holy Spirit. And thousands upon thousands of Donnies began to respond. I mean, just the gigantic movement of the Spirit where whole tribes would come to the Savior at a time. Impossible to keep up with a number of baptisms that needed to be done. In fact, the movement was so powerful that my dad one day sent me a copy of Time Magazine. And there was my friend from Word of Life, Leon Dillinger, on the cover of Time Magazine because of the incredible impact of the gospel in the land among the Donnie people. You see, God is still working. The Spirit of God is the power of God unto salvation to all that will believe. So exciting things are happening in Asia, Latin America, Europe. Exciting things are happening around the world. In fact, there's going to be more missionaries that are sent out from what we call the third world than are sent out from our world. And we're going to have to think about a global influence of what we're going to be involved in and working with this incredible movement that God is doing around the world. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, before the second coming of Christ, I think our Savior is saying, he says, the harvest is white. It's ready to harvest. The fruit's ready to come in. And before he comes back, I think he's sending out a very powerful movement of the Spirit in order to just bring this gospel into people's hearts before he just shakes the whole planet during the tribulation period. What I want to do is to give the young people, I want to give the children, I want to give you as adults a tremendous feel for what we're a part of. I want you not to look backward. I want you to look forward. I want you to look forward to what the Lord wants to do through us. What are some things that we need to really do biblically in order to be part of this movement? You see, explosive things are happening, and the power of the Spirit's working to make us witnesses. But I want to ask very concretely, what do we as individuals, what do we as a church family need to do biblically in order to be part of this movement? Let me suggest some things, and I can give you the idea. If you turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Barnabas, the great exhorter and encourager, he was a great encourager in the body of Christ, did something very special in Acts chapter 11. If you look at verse 25, Barnabas was a Jerusalem Jew. He's from Cyprus, but he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. So he's running the epitome of Orthodox Judaism of the first century. 
But evidently, Barnabas was one of those guys that everywhere you send Barnabas, he brought a smile, he brought warmth, he brought encouragement. And he was a guy that though he was raised in a very rigid legal system, he was able to catch the flow of the Spirit and become part of the new work that the Spirit of God was doing. And that's why he was chosen to go up and work among a new group that was developing in what is today modern Syria, in the ancient city of Antioch. And Antioch was a very strange place because it was the place where believers stopped just reaching out to Jewish people, but they reached out to Gentile people. It's interesting that a lot of churches today only reach out to Gentile people and they feel skittish about reaching out to Jewish people. It shows you how times can change. But Barnabas became part of a group that got out of their little closed ideas, out of their little idea that the church and people they reached needed to be just like them, and they started sharing the gospel with a lot of Gentiles, a lot of Greek-speaking people. And an incredibly powerful movement of the Spirit, just like the movements that I've been describing to you so far, began to explode in the city of Antioch. And when you've got a lot of people being saved, it takes a lot of training. And Barnabas was working night and day trying to teach these new believers. And then he remembered there was a dear guy that had started out in Jerusalem. He knew him probably when he was trained in Gamaliel school, saw him persecute believers, saw him powerfully touch in the Damascus road, had seen him come into the Jerusalem church, but then he saw him go back home. And he knew that he'd been back home there for several years and, and probably witnessing in his hometown and probably trying to reach his hometown folks. But look what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called the little Christ followers, first in Antioch. That's what a Christian is. The word Christian was a term of derision, a term of derision like when the church of Antioch sent kids to school, if you want to think of them going to school, the, the kids in the playground would yell, they're the little Christian, they're the little Christ ones, they're the little Christ ones. And they would mock them that way. They're the people who are trying to follow this Christos from down there in Palestine, that, the crucified one. And so they were called Christian. It's interesting how a term of derision often becomes the marked label. It's often how our enemies often label what we really are. Like Methodists, if you're from a Methodist background, it was a scorn thrown out against John Wesley and his brother Charles as they methodically studied the scripture every day, as they methodically took the steps of holiness, as they methodically prayed, their enemies would tease them and say, you're just so methodical, you're Methodist. That became the name that stuck. That's what Christian should mean. Christian often means to us just culture. But what it needs to mean, what it meant here in the beginning, the little followers of Christ. And I want you to see the Apostle Paul was brought by Barnabas into the church of Antioch. And I can assure you, when, when Paul went into the church of Antioch, everyone's rejoicing. He's incredibly gifted for a whole year. I mean, they have incredible prayer meetings together. They have incredible study times together. And God is powerfully using Paul and Barnabas in the church. Look what happened in chapter 13. It says in Acts chapter 13, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, there's the man I talked to you about. It mentions several others. Simon called Niger. He was uh, probably a, a black fella. Niger had the, the impression he was black, so you got an interracial community going on here. Lucius of Cyrene, he's from another area. You've got an aristocrat here, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so he's a wealthy nobility kind of a guy. And notice it says, and Saul. So Saul's one of the leaders of Antioch. 
So here you have this exciting community, interracial, intersocial. I mean, God's doing an incredible thing in this group. Now look what happens. While they were worshiping the Lord, singing praise to the Lord, focusing on him, while they were worshiping the Lord, and while they were fasting, and I think that's an area maybe that the Lord wants us to get burdened about. I find that people that start to get burdened about the mission of the world, they don't fast because they want to destroy their bodies. They don't fast because they think that somehow they'll get a greater handle upon the Lord. But they start to get so exercised about the needs that are in the world. They get exercised about the need for prayer that they begin, it's hard to find time to busy schedule. And one of the things that we almost all do consistently is eat a lunch or eat a breakfast. And what these believers started to do is they would meet together and they'd skip a meal and they would fast and pray. They would pray during the time when they would eat. And the burden of the Lord was upon them. And I think that's something that the Lord wants to generate in our group. Getting out of our lethargy, getting out of our laziness, and getting focused. It's like the discipline of an Olympic athlete. An athlete that wants to win the Olympics brings their body under discipline. And if you notice the power and the joy that they have in doing that, you see, rather than what we think of, you see, when we get lazy and sloppy and our bodies are totally out of control, then we feel miserable and depressed and down. But when we get on disciplined schedules and when we get burdened to reach a goal, and when we bring our bodies into subjection to that goal, then our life begins to gel, it begins to happen. And I want to pray that the Spirit of God will spontaneously bring His power upon us to do some of that. Because exciting things happen when God's people fast and when they pray. And notice what it says. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they told the Holy Spirit that they were going to keep their teachers right here in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were doing a good job. There's enough problems right here in Antioch. There's enough needs right here. And so we fasted and prayed, and we've touched base with the Holy Spirit. We're going to keep Saul and Barnabas right here. How many of you have that in your text? A church family that begins to think like that is a church family that the wind of the Spirit goes right out of their sails because they've lost the purpose. They've lost what's really happening. What I've seen again and again is the Lord uses somebody in our church family, then he sends them out. One of the most discouraging things to me when I was young in the ministry here was we would just start to work with someone's life. They'd begin to blossom, they'd begin to grow, and then they'd tell me, well, I just got transferred to another country or another state or another part of Texas. Well, the human part of me says, no, I want you to stay right here. Mary and I just got to know you. You're just a really good friend. We want you to stay right here. But you see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what do we need to do? We need to be witnesses and we need to, we need to be willing to go out. And as long as we're willing to make those choices, as long as we encourage people to do that, exciting things happen. You see, when we send people out, when we're willing to give up our teachers, that's when the Spirit of God works. We need to be willing to have our gifted teachers go forth and ordain them to go out. Second of all, you know, the Apostle Paul was like a professional teacher. You know, that's what he did, although he was a tent maker. But you know what? It says in the Word of God, if you look at, at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, I want to talk to you about a very exciting reality that's true in missions today. Acts chapter 18, 1 and 2. It says, after this, look at Acts 18, 1 and 2. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now just imagine, you're a businessman, and you and your wife, a lot of, a lot of husbands and wives in our own church, have like business ventures together. 
Well, Priscilla and Aquila were like that. They had their tent-making, their leather-working industry going in Rome. Suddenly, can you imagine living in a culture where suddenly the emperor decides you're out of here and every Jew gets kicked out of Rome? It happened during the 50s A.D. in the city of Rome. Claudius just suddenly decided you're out of here. Every Jew in this city is gone. And so they had to come all the way over here. It says they went to Corinth. Now, how would you feel if you were a business person and suddenly you got the news this week that you're out of the city of Dallas, you've got to totally translocate, transplant yourself to another city? That's a rough time, right? Now, doesn't that mean that God's not in your life? Doesn't that mean that God's messing everything up? Man, your life is chaotic. Your life isn't making any sense, you know. Isn't God in control of the government? Who's this crazy madman dictator that's telling us where we're going to live and everything? How many of you might feel that way at that point of your Priscilla and Aquila? I would. Anybody ever feel like, Lord, you're messing everything up in my life? Look what happened. It says that they came to Corinth, and it says that Paul went to see them, and because he was the tent makers they were, he stayed and worked with them, and every Sabbath he read in the synagogue and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You see, the tremendous dislocation of Priscilla and Aquila from Rome to Corinth brought them into a chance, quote, quote, chance, right, meeting with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker, like Priscilla and Aquila, he joined with them. It formed a lifelong friendship of ministry that continued all the rest of their ministry together. You see, God wasn't messing everything up. God wanted to take Priscilla and Aquila, this business couple, and take them over to Corinth to meet Paul. Now you say, well, Dave, they just provided for some of Paul's needs and Paul worked for them and then they would free him up to be able to minister. That's not all they did. Look what it said after Paul left. Paul leaves the city and Priscilla and Aquila get thrown out again. They, they leave Corinth and they end up in Ephesus. Evidently they had kind of like McDonald's. They had stores all over the Roman Empire. I don't know what they're doing. You know, evidently they were the ones that had the first chain tent making thing. But they're going from one town to the next, Rome, Corinth. Now they're in Ephesus. And there's a great preacher in Ephesus named Apollos. They come to the city. He's a Jewish guy. And yet he hasn't heard the full story of Jesus. All he's telling is John the Baptist's ministry. All he knows about is that the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to repent and be baptized. And he's preaching John the Baptist's message. He hasn't even heard the truth about Christ. Look what happens in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He didn't know the full orb ministry of what Jesus had done. He just knew the beginning part, that Jesus had come, he'd been baptized by John, evidently, and he doesn't know the whole story of redemption. Now look what happens. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And the Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to disciples there. In other words, what we have here is a story of a business couple that take a learned man of God who has the story only half correct, and this business couple invites him home for dinner. And there in the afternoon, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife, get him introduced to the incredible full-orbed message of the story of salvation, and they equip him for a ministry that explodes in eloquence throughout the Greco-Roman world. That's a business person. One of the things I want you to do today, as we think about missions today, as I close this story of, of missions around the world, I want you as business people, I want some of our students to think, we live in a day where there's a desperate need for tent makers. 
It takes more than two and a half to three years for a full-time missionary to raise their support to get ready to go to the foreign field. You know some of you that get trained as school teachers? As soon as you graduate from university, as soon as you get your teaching certificate, you can go to another country and become a teacher. You'll be invited by many governments to do so. You'll be paid to go there. You'll be given a good salary while you're there, and incredible opportunities will open up. That's true in Latin America. It's true in Africa. It's true in areas of Asia. We all hear the idea, Saudi Arabia is closed. There's no way that we can reach Saudi Arabia. It's a closed Islamic group. You know what? There are thousands of thousands of engineers, American engineers, right now today that are in Saudi Arabia. That's what all the news things are about. We need to protect the people, the, the whole community of Americans that's there. You know what happens when you bring a bunch of engineers from another culture into the, the home culture? Tremendous changes take place. What happens if a guy trained at A&M in engineering says, I'm going to go and serve the Lord for my company in Saudi Arabia, and he's praying, Lord, or she's praying, Lord, provide opportunities in that culture for me to be able to have conversations with people about the gospel. What did we learn in our studies of church history? That's how the gospel went from one place to another, through the areas of commerce, through the areas of business. Every single one of you, you say, I'm a business person. What I'm supposed to do is pay the bills. Oh, no, you're not. That's not all you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is use your arena of business. Just think of what's happening in the business world today. Just since I moved to Midlothian, when I first came to Midlothian, hardly anyone came up to me and says, you know, the next week I'm flying over to Japan. I'll be in Tokyo all this week. But, you know, that happens routinely. In fact, to be honest with you, you know, businessmen will come up and say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. I am praying for you, but it's not like, oh, man, a trip to Tokyo. You see, you all take that for granted. But you realize that right here in our church family, as we teach the Word of God and you take it into your life, the Lord flies you on airplanes all over the place, all over the country, all over the world, many of you. And what I want you to think of yourself is, Lord, this is an opportunity. When you go on that business trip, I want you to be thinking, I'm Priscilla and I'm Aquila. And who knows who I'll meet? Who knows what seed I might be able to plant? I want you young people and children to think about the whole area of tent making. It's another whole area of missions. My friend's being trained in, in hydraulic engineering. And his whole goal is to go into one of the Islamic countries that's totally closed and help them with their water development. But his real overall purpose is to, is to aid the body of Christ and to evangelize and to reach out in that area where people need to be reached. So we need not only professional missionaries and tent makers and teachers and evangelists and church planners, we also need business people that will use all the opportunities of the modern world to be able to reach out. Some of you that are retired, some of you that are older, say, man, this is time for me to take a break. I think of a dear lady that I had in my class at the World of Life Bible Institute. She was 72, I believe, when she came. I'll never forget. She sat right over here to my left. 72. She went right through the year at the Bible Institute, got her training. She was retired. She had her social security. The next thing I knew, here she's 72. I said, what are you going to do after you get through the Bible Institute? The Lord has a plan for me. The next time I turn around, she's teaching down in Argentina. She was a teacher for years. And the Lord gave her an incredible ministry for the next four or five years. You see, that's what God can do. If you're retired, you, rather than feeling, man, now's my time to, to soak it up down in Galveston or get that condo down in Florida. No. This might be the time that you can start to get involved in mission. You can get involved in mission. It'll change your life. Being in another place, in another time, with other kids 
and just see what the Spirit of God can do. The Spirit of God is still breathing and moving. The third thing we need to do, number one, we need to let our gifted teachers go and have open hands with them. And then the Lord will raise up other gifted teachers for us. Second of all, we need to realize that it's not just professionals. It is the laity. We need to equip the business people. I want every one of you to think of yourself as a missionary. Thirdly, we need to pray. It was while they were fasting and praying that the Spirit of God came down and gave direction. We need to pray. Ephesians chapter 6 says that the only way we can win in this spiritual warfare is through our prayers. We need to pray. Start to focus on missions and what God is doing in the world. Finally, we need to give. I think one of the most dastardly things that Satan has done is he's raised an aura in the Christian church today that as soon as we mention money, then we all turn off. I do. In fact, one of the hardest things for me in the ministry in fact, one of the temptations I have is, dear Lord, I wish I could write a gigantic big seller and I wouldn't have to depend upon God's people anymore for money. And I'd be able to just fully pay the bill for everything I do. That's what I really would like to do, honestly. That thinking sounds so American and so good, but it's so wrong for me. Because that denies the teamwork that we have together. And it denies a very biblical pattern that the, that the Lord has set up. The Apostle Paul did not take funds from unbelievers in fact, most of the time, the Apostle Paul took funds from no one because he ministered in areas where they hadn't heard yet, and he didn't want them to think he was just a teacher that was peddling like a lot of other Greco-Roman teachers that would be itinerant speakers that would make big bucks by peddling their little teaching. And Apostle Paul wanted to separate himself from that, so he worked a good bit of the time. But you know what he said about Peter in 1 Corinthians? He says Peter takes his wife with him and travels, and his bills are paid. And the Apostle Paul says that that should be done. The Apostle Paul wouldn't take any money from the Corinthian church because they were too immature. They were very wealthy, very powerful, but they were immature spiritually and they didn't have a loving heart towards Paul. And so Paul turned down funds from the Corinthian church. There was the Philippian church up in Macedonia that was very, very poor, hardly had any money at all. But the Apostle Paul would receive their gifts. In fact, the Philippian church, according to the book of Philippians, loved Paul so much that when he was sick, they got one of their own church members and they paid all the bills and sent one of their church members down to be with the Apostle Paul and to take care of him in prison. And they paid all of that as a very poor church. The Apostle Paul says that people that really understand the risen Christ, they understand the power of the gospel, they care about the ministry in the world, and he says it's a holy thing, it's a sacred thing for them to work with their hands so that rather than stealing from someone else, they can give to those in need. And that means that we meet poverty needs and the needs of widows and orphans. But one of the other things that we do is make it possible for those that need to go to be able to go. And we support those in full-time ministry. We support missionaries. I've given you a whole vision of the world today. But you know what? I covet for your spirit not to die, no matter how old you are. I covet for you to live vitally until the Lord called us home. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Look at what I've told you to do. Gifted teachers, being willing to send them out, being willing to learn from them and then obey. I've talked to you about being willing to let your gifted teachers go. Second of all, I've talked to you about being a, a secular lay person that's a godly believer in the marketplace. All of us missionaries, all of us involved in getting the gospel out. Thirdly, I talked to you about praying. Fourthly, I talked to you about giving. I want you to look at those things. The mission is impossible for you if you can't concretely think through some ways that you're involved in that. 
there's some ways that you're doing something in those areas to be part of the movement of the Spirit. So if you say, Dave, we've talked about this mission of the world, we've talked about receiving power and being witnesses, I want you to know that the commitment of my heart is going to be to become a world Christian, to make this possible, to make this vision of getting the gospel in all the world. I'm going to make a commitment that it's going to be possible because I'm going to be part of that. Then it will become not mission impossible, but mission possible.